Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Today I'm reading in a scripture reading will be John 21 and it's 15 through 25. <clears throat> when we had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when, we were, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and he had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread across them, spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who is bearing the witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the word itself could not contain in the books that would be written. God, our Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for gathering us this morning as a church family. And now, Lord, we, as Aaron comes forward to, with the message, we ask that we all have open ears to hear. And we thank you with all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Phil. Well, good morning. The alphas can be dismissed. It's a bittersweet day for me. And it's not because after service the Christmas decorations are finally going up. It is after Thanksgiving, so that is permitted. Uh, but it's our last Sunday in the Gospel of John. Uh, this has been a special book to study, has it not? 
During last year's Advent, we started the Gospel of John, so a year ago, and we have now, including today, spent 46 Sundays in this Gospel. Next week, we will start a new Advent series, and we will be looking at the Gospel of Luke. But what's cool about this year is that we're going to be doing this with our brothers and sisters from East Randolph, where we are going to share our pulpit with Femi and Marty here at Cornerstone, and they're going to share their pulpit with me. Uh, and so we're going to serve each other's church and continue to be partnered together. Because as you recall, when East Randolph sent us off as a new church, the elders at both churches, the leaders, they wanted, we wanted to maintain our partnership as much as we could together. And I think we do more today together than we did even a year ago or a little over a year ago when we became our own church. So Lord willing, we will continue to do that for the years to come. So let me pray for us, and we will look at John 21 and finish up this book. Father, we thank you uh, for another time to look at this beautiful gospel. God, we thank you for directing your apostle, your beloved disciple to write these words down for us this morning because Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God that by believing we may have life in his name we thank you for this great privilege would you give us life this morning through your son and we pray this in Jesus name amen so as we finish the Gospel of John, I think we should be asking ourselves the question, now what? What do we do? What do we do with what we have looked at for this last year? And I think in our passage this morning that Phil just read, John gives us a fitting conclusion. As I was preparing for this week and as I was meditating on this passage, I think it ties well to our mission as a church. It's on the back wall, that black wall of each you come in, where John calls us to love God to love others and to make disciples by abiding in Christ and proclaiming the truth. Let me show you. So as we pick back up in John 21, uh, Jesus and Peter are by this charcoal fire. Again, last time Peter was at this charcoal fire, he was asked by a slave and a little girl, do you know Jesus? And he denied it three times. And this time it's a bit different. Jesus is asking the question, and he's asking the question, Simon, Peter, do you love me? So let's look at verses 15 to 19 uh, one more time. When he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But now when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
And so three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter responds with, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And at the end of this gospel, John calls us first and foremost to love God. Some of you may be familiar with this passage. You might be familiar with this exchange of words that is happening in the Greek language. Last week we saw a word in English, the revealing and marveling, how the English translators, they used the same word and they translated it with two different English words. This way, or this week, we see two different Greek words translated as one word, love. And I will show you that in a second. But it causes different types of applications with this passage. And so Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? First two times he uses the verb, the Greek word agapao. You might know this as agape is the noun version. Peter responds, yes, you know. And he says, I love you. And he uses a different Greek word, phileo. Yes, I phileo you. I love you. You may be familiar with those two types of words. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Four Loves, called agape love, a charity type love, a love of God. And phileo love is more like a friend, C.S. Lewis says. And so therefore, many have concluded, prior to even C.S. Lewis, that Peter just doesn't understand how deeply he is called to love God. The third time, though, Jesus asked a question, and Jesus uses a different word. He uses phileo. Peter, do you phileo me? And he says, yes, I phileo you. And so the question that we're posed with is, does Jesus stoop down to Peter's level to meet him where he's at and ask him the question? The first time, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And I think this is where we can start to break this apart a little bit. He says, do you love me more than these? And more of these could be the nets and the fish. Remember, they had pulled this 153 fish from the sea in this big net. Do you love me more than this? Your livelihood, the things that you need to survive. Or do you love me more than these other people? Do you love me more than these other disciples? Most agree, though, that Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Remember, Je remember Peter. Jesus is asking Peter to compare himself to others. Peter's a brash man. He shoots from the hip. We know that from this study. In light of his betrayal, the last time that these two men were by a charcoal fire, Jesus asked, is your love greater than these others who love me as well? And I think if Peter's honest, he probably wanted to say, I don't love you like these guys do. They didn't betray you like I did. But Jesus wants Peter's heart. He knows the betrayal. He knows the profanity that Peter used when Peter denied him while he was being tried. And Peter responds with, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Do you agapao? Yes, I phileo. And it's the third time, I think, that helps to show us ways to apply this. This time, Jesus uses phileo, and Peter responds, the text says, with grief. In the same words, you know that I phileo you. And this is why we need John's help. We have to consider the words that are used before we draw conclusions about these words and Peter's lack, potentially, of proper love. John 16, 27 speaks of the Father's love. 
For the Father himself loves you, phileo you, because you have loved me. The Father's love for the Son is phileo as well, and have believed that I have come from God. So we know that the Father doesn't just have this friendly type love towards the Son. It's a deep, intimate, intense sort of love. And in John 17, 23, Jesus is praying to God and he proclaims the purpose of his coming to the world. This agapao love, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, agapao, even though as you loved me, agapao. So you see this same love is used in two different ways in this gospel, in two different verses, conveying the same way the Father loves the Son and vice versa. Now I have two more examples of how this love plays itself out. John 3.16, right? We know this verse. For God so loved, agapao, the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The same language is used of phileo. John 15, 13. Greater love, agapao, has no other than this, that someone lay down in his life for his friends. You might have been thinking, well, you didn't say phileo, Darren. Aaron, not Darren. It's a friend of mine. There's no word phileo there, but the word friend is the noun version of phileo. His philon, the ones he loves, translated in English, friends. And so the conclusion of these words, phileo and agapao, in this gospel in particular, is that they're interchangeable. God's love for his people is phileo and agape. Jesus is asking the right question, and Peter is giving the right answer. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And Peter more than likely was feeling, I don't love you as much as these guys love you from his heart. But you love me, so I love you because you laid down your life for me. Love is a big deal in this gospel. Love drives Christ to us. Love drives us to Christ. The love of God drives us to respond. Friends, John calls us to love God. Peter is the leader, an example to follow. We saw that last week. And so consider Jesus' words in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so... What does your love for God look like? How are you doing in keeping that commandment? And so first we're called to love God. Second, we're called to love others. Look at this exchange a little bit more. After Peter was grieved with the third question, probably recalling that last charcoal fire and his denial of Christ three times, Clearly, love is not just a feeling. God's love isn't contingent. Our emotions change, but John says twice in his first letter that God is love. It's an attribute of his character. Where my love is situational. Just ask my kids and my wife. I hate to break it to you, but I sometimes am not loving, especially at home. But God's love is static. It doesn't change. It is committed to staying the same. God's love is committed to himself. God is committed to himself. God is committed to his covenant extended to you and I. God's love never changes. With God, feelings are driven by his character. 
and his relationship that he establishes with his people, with us. And so Jesus' posture towards this disciple, Peter, has never changed. Love is the foundation. It's the motivation to our response, to Peter's response. And so Jesus calls Peter to love others. Love God, love others. He calls Peter to first feed my sheep. And then he says again, to tend my lambs. Jesus, the good shepherd, he entrusts to Peter, to others, the feeding of his lambs and sheep, to others. And feeding is a term that refers to feeding, moving animals, grazing animals from one pasture to another, like a green pasture. We see this in Psalm 23 of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so Jesus commands Peter to tend his sheep like that. Tending is watching for his sheep, for guarding his sheep, protecting his sheep, guiding them, caring for his sheep while nurturing them. Isaiah 40, verse 11 speaks of this in the way that God does this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. Jesus loves Peter. Peter loves Jesus. And Peter is commanded, in light of that, to love others, God's people. As one commentator put this, the risen Lord, as supreme shepherd of his sheep, exercises his ministry through those whom he calls to be his under-shepherds, and to them he delegates authority over the flock. And we all model this love of God who lays down his life for his friends and his sheep. But it starts with leaders in the church. Jesus probed Peter's heart, and Peter knew the right answer to the question. And Jesus forces Peter to learn a hard lesson of a changed life. He needs to be fed, but then he calls Peter to feed others. In 1 Peter 5, we see that Peter is starting to get this. He then applies it to leaders in the church, where Peter says to the church, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so Peter, transformed and restored, he is commanded to lead by example, himself leading in the church. Where leaders in the church are to lead by example. John 21 is for all Christians, though. The qualifications for leaders in God's church are shown in the scriptures in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus as well. They're found as well, not just for leaders, though. Throughout all of scripture, especially the New Testament, these characteristics, these qualifications are meant for all believers. But leaders in the church should be the one who best meet those qualifications by the grace of God in their own lives. And Jesus explains to Peter how this love is to work itself out in verse 18. 
He says young people dress themselves and older folks stretch out their hands and are carried. And this is not referring to geriatrics, though. In verse 19, John jumps in as the narrator, I think, to help us with this. He says that this was to show the kind of death that he was to glorify God with. Loving others isn't just singing songs, giving a friend a hug, serving in a kid's class, or dropping up a couple of cans of soup or goods for the food shelf, which we'll have a box for next week. Jesus' final words to Peter are, follow me. So loving Jesus is dying to yourself. God, John calls us to love God and love others. And we follow Jesus' example to the cross. We may lay down our lives for Jesus and his people, but the most loving thing to do for others who do not yet know Jesus is to point them to Jesus, where we lay down our preferences for others so that they can meet Jesus themselves. It may even mean we end up laying down our life and filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, as Paul says to the Colossian church, where Jesus calls Peter to follow him to the cross, Peter to his own cross, where his hands are stretched out and someone will carry you to be crucified. It's not geriatrics. It's dying to yourself. Peter needed the gospel first so he could then love others with the gospel by laying down his own life for the sake of others to believe and apply and know the gospel themselves. Lord, loving God is the foundation for this love, for everything, for tending and feeding and laying down their life for the sake of others. It's the only power of God for salvation in the gospel, where we feed the words of God, the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? We feed the gospel of God. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where we have compassion for the lost, not ridicule. Lost people actually do things that lost people do. To sinners, we struggle, even as believers, and we need gospel reminders, too. Matthew 9 describes Jesus' posture towards the sheep. It says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Where we are laborers in Jesus' field, where he uses us to call sheep to himself, where we love his flock, we tend his sheep, we lay down our lives for others. And it starts here in the church. John 13, 35, by this all all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Last week, the denier, the doubter, the debater, they came to Jesus. They were welcomed back in. They were then, Peter here was restored three times, and Peter is now given a mission, the same mission that we today are given to love God and to love others. We're loving God is the foundation, it's the motivation, it's the means by which we can love others. We're feeding sheep comes from loving the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One former Vermont pastor wrote this, 
in a book that he wrote a chapter of, we cannot truly love the sheep until we truly love the shepherd. It's for the glory of Christ that we do everything because we love him and we obey him. Lost people live like lost people. So we should not respond to them with righteous indignation. We respond like Jesus does, laying down our life. And by laying down our life, our preferences, our pride, everything that we have for the sake of Jesus' sheep, we get to display who Jesus is and what he has done to others. It's the greatest way to love others. Leadership is a willing desire, not a goal to achieve, to obey, and to serve others in our own love for Jesus. We're tending the flock and feeding the sheep can be done everywhere. It can be done in your home. It can be done in your office. So how are you doing and tending the sheep entrusted to your care, to your flock? Is it political garbage that we feed sheep with? Where our hope isn't in a political party? Or the way our government runs things? Is it in our finances where we take nothing out of this world when we are taken from it? It is in self-help or stick-to-itiveness that will fail too. Love others, friends, with truth and grace in the gospel. Leaders in the church should be the ones who do this best, not perfectly. I'm not perfect. But it's also for all Christians. It's for every one of you here in this room. And so are you feeding your flock? your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, strangers, even people in this church? Are you feeding them with the gospel? Are you feeding them with the truth, his word? The love of God is displayed to Peter, and Peter is called to love God in return. Peter's then called to love others. And verse 19 was a prophecy of how Peter was to die. By stretching out his hands like Jesus on a cross, follow me, Peter, in love towards others. Lay down your life for your friends, the beloved ones, the ones I phileo. Church history says that Peter died in AD 67 or 68. He was crucified under the Roman Emperor Nero. And as he was about to be crucified, Peter did not want to be crucified like his beloved Lord. And so he said, crucify me upside down. Church John Calvin said, nothing was given to Peter through these words that is not also given to all ministers of the gospel. And friends, we are all ministers of the gospel. It doesn't matter who you are, businessman or retired teacher or homeschool mom, nurse or even nursing, farmer or you just like to go buy some steak at the grocery store. Compared to the good shepherd and without the good shepherd, we are nothing. John calls us to love others. I'm sorry, he calls us first to love God and then he calls us to love others. And so lay down your life, church. Jesus doesn't bless us primarily to provide for our own status and our own stuff. We're blessed in Christ to carry out the divine purposes of this world, to lay down our lives for others. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what does laying down your life look like for you? 
How are you doing in keeping those commandments? Peter lived and served three decades after receiving this prediction from Jesus. Imagine every step of his life. Is it time? Is it time? Getting almost every major event in the history of the early church. Guess who was present? It was Peter. Even after betraying his Lord, he was called to shepherd and tend the flock entrusted to his care. When Jesus ascended to, Pe uh, to heaven, Peter was there. When they called Matthias to replace Judas, Peter was there. Peter preached a sermon one day and upwards of 3,000 people believed. He walked through the temple. His shadow healed people. When the gospel made it to the Gentiles in Acts 13, when it came to Cornelius and his family, guess who was there? Peter was there. Jesus didn't call Peter to go on a walk with him on the Sea of Galilee's beach. He called him at the end of this gospel to apply his call at the very beginning of the gospel. We saw that last week when Peter was called, come and see, has turned, in a turned into a challenge for consistent discipleship until Peter is eventually martyred. Come and see eventually leads to come and die. And John is inviting every denier, doubter, debater, every sinner who trusts in Jesus to the same steadfast pursuit of the risen Lord. John calls us to love God, and John calls us to love others. He also calls us to make disciples in two ways, by abiding in Christ and proclaiming the truth. But before Jesus gets the last word, Peter tries to speak up one last time. Look at verse 20 with me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to him, to said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he would remain until I come, what is that to you? Stop right there. Peter had his first follower. Peter and Jesus are walking and John is following. Peter is one last time, like I said, he opens up his mouth. Hey Jesus, what about this guy? If I'm going to go suffer, what about John? It didn't take Peter very long to get distracted. But Christ's service should be his all-consuming passion, with nothing taking away from it. But it's Peter. Jesus, will John suffer too, like me? Jesus' response, John will remain as long as I want him to remain. What does it matter to you, Peter? And we've seen that word remain before, right? We've seen that word as translated in John 15 as abide. So John calls us to love God, love others, and make disciples by abiding in Christ. We abide with Jesus until he returns or he calls us home. 
Peter needs to live his own life of faithfulness, not compared to others. When Jesus called his disciples to abide in Christ in John 15, we were called to abide in three ways. I'll just do a brief reminder of that. First, it's in the words of Jesus, in the Bible, in the scriptures. It's the words of eternal life, and Peter knows that. Second, it's in the gospel, his love, he says specifically in John 15. His love which caused him to lay down his life for us as his people, his sheep, his friends. We will fail to remember our call to love God and love others. We need the gospel to remind ourselves that Jesus died for that too. The gospel removes our shame. Jesus died for our lack of faith. And so we abide in him. We abide in the gospel, God's grace and mercy. It's the grounds by which we can love God and love others. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. And so how is your abiding? How does abiding in Christ look for you? How are you keeping his commandments? Making disciples starts with abiding in Christ. And so are you willing to abide? Are you willing to stick out until your very last breath or until Jesus returns? Maybe it's soon. Maybe it's a long time. Maybe you wish your life looked differently. Maybe you wish it would be over. Maybe you want others to suffer like you. Think about Peter's words, right? In each of these three sections, Peter has, to had, has needed to consider a sort of comparison. Do you love me as much as these other disciples love you? Me? Will you lay down your life for the sheep, not just for the ones that you like? Are you willing to suffer even if others might abide for a little while longer? Comparison kills. But it's a real temptation I think we are all faced with. To fight comparison in the church, we must abide in Christ, His words and His love, while we make disciples and live lives of faithfulness here. John calls us to love God, love others, and make disciples by abiding in Christ and proclaiming the truth. Where Jesus' words were misunderstood by the early church. And so John corrects them in verse 23. John corrects a false understanding in the church. The church history says that John was one of the only, if not the only, apostle to escape martyrdom. When John wrote this, Peter had already died. He was crucified upside down. And John's suffering was also known at this point. John was the last of the disciples to die, suffering most. He was arrested in Ephesus, and facing martyrdom, he was thrown into a vat, a big pot of boiling oil. Makes those bacon dripping grease splatters on Thanksgiving seem like nothing, right? John survived. John was exiled to an island to work in labor mines, Patmos, where he had the vision of Christ that we see in the book of Revelation. And later John was freed. He died, church says, history says, around 8098, peacefully, abiding until his very last breath, all alone. John corrected the false understanding of what the early church thought, that he was to be there when Christ would return. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. John proclaimed truth to correct, but these last two verses give us a motivation 
to proclaim truth, to save. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John finishes by declaring why he, he should be trusted. He understands Jesus' identity. He's seen Jesus' works. And he knows why it matters. Where we can trust John's eyewitness account. Where we too make disciples by sharing the truth. Maybe even tomorrow or today or this week. You can share a nugget of truth that you've even read in your Bible or heard in this sermon. That is a way to share truth or your own Bible reading plan. John wrote this gospel so that we could believe and have life in Jesus' name. And Peter believed. John believed. We believe. Christians all around the world believe. And John is selective in his writing. He is not exhaustive, but John is an evangelist. This life can be hard, but following Jesus is worth it. And John wrote this gospel so that disciples after him and future disciples after them and disciples who would eventually be disciples until we end up here today in 2022 could hear the truth of the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As Eric mentioned in our catechism, we have all sinned. We need a Savior. And we get to share that message as well so that others may believe. And so Cornerstone, as we finish John, let's remember John's call to us to love God, love others, and make disciples by abiding in Christ and proclaiming the truth. There is a lost and dying world out there without any hope. And friends, we have the hope for them. We have the truth. We've been entrusted to feed sheep, to tend to a flock. And it's unloving to not share that with each other in this room, in this church, or with a lost and dying world around there. So that's our mission. Love God, love others, and make disciples. It's on the back wall. It's been up there for a while. I'm excited for our family gathering in a couple weeks to show and to share some ways in which your leaders sense that God is leading us in the days, weeks, years ahead as we cast some vision for 2023 and beyond. The mission of the church never changes. In light of God's love for us, our mission is to love God, love others, and make disciples. We love others by laying down our lives, being an example to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd, to hear because His sheep hear His voice and they follow. And so if you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. So what does that look like for you? Now is a good time as any to accept the forgiveness of your sins paid for by Jesus on the cross, if you haven't already. If we're struggling, he died and rose for that as well. He will help us. He, we get to help each other. The more and more we experience the gospel, the more and more we want to make disciples. We will love God. We will love others. We will make disciples. The more we love God, the more we will have a desire for others to love God. The more we love others, the more we will want to continue to love others. 
We are to be under shepherds, all of us, modeling the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where we abide in Him, we proclaim the truth about Him so the world may know the Lamb of God themselves. That's our message. It's a great commission in the Gospel of John. Jesus said this in His high priestly prayer. As you sent me into the world, remember he's praying to his Father, so I send them into the world. That's our call. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that as a plan for the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son to die in our place on the cross for our sins. God, we thank you for this last year that we have had in this gospel, for the ways in which you have transformed our individual minds, for the ways in which you have transformed our families, for the way we engage those in our lives at our work, at our schools, the grocery store, even in this church. God, we thank you that we have these words in this Gospel of John. God, we thank you for giving us life in your name, giving us the ability to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Word made flesh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God, we thank you that you loved us so much to send him for people who wanted nothing to do with you. You are so good, and we want to worship you this morning even more because of that. And so, God, we will do that right now. May the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth be pleasing in your sight, our Lord and our rock. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.